Good afternoon, and thanks so much for being with us on this very sunny Friday afternoon. Well, some breaking news to share with you. I know Mike Smith was talking about this. Simi Sarah talked about this as well. If you're on any form of social media, my guess is you have seen a lot of the backlash over Whole Foods saying employees would not be permitted to wear a poppy, that it does not comply with the new uniform policy at Whole Foods. Well, in Canada... I don't think I've seen a backlash so swift, so directed, so targeted, so angry in quite some some time that is a backlash against a particular store. Well, a statement that has just been released by Whole Foods Market says our new unified dress code policy is intended to create our consistency and ensure operational safety across all of our stores. Our intention was never to single out the poppy or to suggest a lack of support for Remembrance Day and the heroes who have bravely served their country. We appreciate the thoughtful feedback we have received from our customers. Given the learnings of today, we are welcoming team members to wear a poppy in honor of Remembrance Day. As was previously planned, we will also be observing a moment of silence on November 11th, as well as making a monetary donation to the Legion Poppy Fund. So that was just released by Whole Foods Market after the backlash, the anger people were sharing over that decision that is part of the uniform policy employees team members as they like to call them would not be allowed to wear a poppy this year that was a quick about face but it still makes you wonder how on earth did this company think they were going to put out a policy in early november suggesting you couldn't wear a poppy and think that what that wouldn't go unnoticed that people wouldn't take issue with it that people wouldn't be highly offended by that we're still going to open up the phone lines in a little bit and get your take on this the policy the about face the backlash both political and from residents right across the country. And I do want to share with you a conversation I had with Tim Laidler. He is an Afghan vet. He served in Afghanistan with the Canadian Forces. He also runs a veteran support group. Now, I spoke with him before the About Face by Whole Foods and wanted to get his take on the policy itself and why why it is such a big deal that any company would come out with a rule that means their employees can't wear the poppy. And I welcomed him to the program. This is our conversation from just a few moments ago. You're welcome. What's your first response when you hear that Whole Foods has come out and told their employees they are not permitted to wear a poppy this season? Uh, Honestly, I didn't believe it at first. Um, I thought that it must have been some miscommunication or something online. But as we've seen from all the media reports, it's true that, yeah, Whole Foods. And I actually I I reached out to the the Burnaby location to try and confirm for myself if this was the case. And and they said, yeah, Whole Foods and Burnaby, their employees are not allowed to wear a poppy this year. Have you ever heard of a a company doing this? Never. Um, I, I like I think it. The only explanation I think I come to my in my mind is that maybe this, this is an American company. I, I guess Whole Foods is owned by Amazon, mm-hmm. and maybe this U.S.-based company just doesn't understand that Canadians really respect and appreciate our veterans, and we we demonstrate that as a nation during Remembrance Week and on Remembrance Day, and we do it by wearing a poppy. Because how important is it, you yourself, uh, you're a veteran, how important is it, especially for veterans around this time of year, when they go into grocery stores or local businesses and are in public, how important is it to see people wearing that poppy? 
Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, myself, I, I served in Afghanistan as the Canadian forces. And, um, you know, even before that, though, my, my grandfather had served in the military. Like many Canadians, we have a long uh, family history of people serving overseas in World War One and World War Two. So it's it's meaningful as a veteran for myself, you know, seeing everyone taking a moment to remember the sacrifices of uh, those who served abroad, but but also just as a, as a Canadian, thinking of all the generations that served and how much they sacrificed for for the quality of life we have today. It's it's just it's absolutely massive to be able to to come together and show our support like this with the poppy. It's also the biggest fundraiser for the Legion to put money to raise money for the Poppy Fund. And does it work, do you think, or is it important to have that Poppy out there in that a lot of younger people seem to be not as engaged for whatever reason, not as, I guess, maybe not paying as as much attention? Like To me, it kind of feels like that's more of a need, too, to make sure people are wearing poppies and there's that reminder as to why it is important. Yes. It, it's uh, it, it's the reminder, it's the awareness. You know, even I say to people all the time, look, if you if you don't have a two dollars in your pocket to donate to get yourself a poppy, uh, I do a lot of poppy tagging myself where I'm standing off the tray. I tell people it's okay, just take a poppy now so you can wear it uh, and and show your support. And next time you have some change, throw it in one of the trays. You know, it, it's to get everybody out doing something together, and and that's what's about it. it is it's restricted just to the week uh, leading up to Remembrance Day that. The poppy drive is on and and i do run a a veterans charity helping veterans with mental health issues and a lot of our funding comes from donations to those poppy trays funded by the royal canadian legion here in bc Um, that money is going directly to help veterans who are struggling in the return and there's been a lot of talk by the legion this year especially because of covid of not having enough funding come in so this year it's, it's more important than ever that people are wearing the poppies and reminding everyone of the, of the service and, and trying to generate some revenue to support veterans charities like the one I run called the Veterans Transition Network. There, there has been a ton of response to this. Even the Prime Minister speaking earlier today saying it was a mistake and that he is hopeful that Whole Foods will reverse the decision and will realize that it's been such a mistake. Whole Foods, the company, and again, like you said, we have the stores here in Canada, in BC. This was a statement from the company that came from their public relations department in Austin, Texas, saying that it's simply it's not part of the dress code and that team members have to comply with the dress code. But then they go on to say, we recognize and respect the views of all team members and provide several options for team members to share feedback uh, if they choose. It almost seems like could, because they're also saying we we support the veterans, but this is part of the uniform. Therefore, we can't allow it. Can a company have it both ways like that? I don't think so. I, I, when I said that, when I made the call to Whole Foods myself, they quickly stated that they did donate $8,000 across Canada for the poppy fund. And I, I just sort of thought to myself, I said, okay, wait, they're owned by Amazon. They're giving $8,000 instead of allowing Canadians who work for them to wear a poppy. I said, why don't we just flip that deal back? If 8000 is really a big sacrifice, why don't they keep the $8,000 and allow the Canadians that work for them, if they choose, to wear a poppy to show support for veterans? Yeah, I saw that number too and thought $8,000. Sure, in some circumstances, that's a big amount of money. It's not when you're talking about a company owned by Jeff Bezos. Exactly. So if Jeff needs the 8000 bucks, he can, you know, take that and just, again, allow the Canadians who work hard for him. And I know that there is lots of reports of the employees of Whole Foods that are they're outraged by this. Allow them to express their support for the veteran community and veterans 
in their families and their friends by wearing a poppy this Remembrance Week. Uh, do you think this will also push people to, uh, I was already uh, trying to think of other stores, and uh, I know uh, the poppy distribution boxes, you often see them in front of Save on Foods, in, st- uh, in front of London Drugs, in front of BC liquor stores. Uh, do you think that this could push people then as well, because there is a ton of backlash to this decision already, to make sure and go out and support those businesses? And in, in, in that fact, we're actually hopefully raising more awareness about this. Definitely. I think it, 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 these things tend to backfire. And, and that is a, a good hope is that everybody who, who maybe doesn't have a poppy yet can think, OK, this is a year. It's really important to show the support. And, you know, Canadians can can choose with their dollars where they want to shop and, and what businesses they want to go to. And if, you know, one business like this is making a, a stand and saying that they're never going to allow poppies to be worn in their stores ever again, then good to keep in mind when we're, we're shopping every day. Uh, do you think at this point, if they were to reverse the decision, w- w- has the damage been done? I mean, would you shop at Whole Foods? No, not until this decision is reversed. But I do believe that if they change their mind, that we, we can go with some forgiveness and we can maybe chalk this up to it being an American company, not understanding Canadians and, and our culture here. Um, I'm willing to give them that, that pass, but it, it needs to be reversed before you know the day is out. Um, or else that is it. And, and it just, for me, it, it makes you start to think about a bit of the broader politics of this, of, you know, there is more and more reasons to encourage Canadian-owned businesses and support Canadian-owned businesses to understand and invest in our communities. And, you know, bringing in a big group like this from the U.S. is going to have, it starts to erode our culture as Canadians if they're starting to dictate what we are and aren't allowed to wear as Canadians go to work. All right. Tim, we'll leave. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, we have been talking about the now reversal of a decision by Whole Foods. Originally, it was a new uniform policy because same pe- some people have been asking and asking on social media, well, why wasn't this a big deal last year? I don't remember hearing about this in previous years. That's because they changed their uniform policy. And in light of a lot of unrest that's happening in the United States, it was a way to stop people from wearing things that might be deemed political, that could be divisive, that could start fights and fights that could escalate. It was out in a, of an abundance of caution, I believe. And it was a way to try and make things just safer for employees. The problem was when you put a poppy in with political symbols, you're going to anger a lot of people because the poppy is not a political symbol. It is a symbol of respect and remembrance and paying tribute to veterans. Very, very different. So Whole Foods, after a tidal wave of backlash, of anger, reversed the decision, said it never meant to be disrespectful to veterans, but people are still really angry that this even became a policy to begin with. So what do you do when your brand has taken a hit like that? Let's bring in Mike Leon, Managing Director of Brand Heroes Incorporated. Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I would imagine you deal with companies, you talk about brands, how important brands are, keeping them in a way that they are popular and people like them. Uh, This must be one of your nightmare situations. (laughs) It most definitely is. 
So what does the company do? They've clearly heard from people. I mean, our Veterans Affairs Minister in Canada actually called the CEO of Whole Foods to talk about this. And it was after that call that the company, which is owned by Amazon, reversed the decision. Uh, what, what does it say to you that it went to that level, went to that point before the company realized it had made a huge mistake? Well, I think it says that uh, Amazon and Whole Foods are going to have some very uncomfortable conversations in the coming days in their boardrooms. And I think, too, what it also says, too, is just how sometimes things like this become so reactionary. Because, you know, somebody obviously made the decision and passed through at least one person, possibly even multiple people. And along the way, they thought that that actually made sense. So now what that shows is that clearly it didn't and they had to walk it back. But I think the bigger issue, and Joe, you lose this when you said that, you know, people are still upset, is it doesn't really sound like it's coming from a place of real authenticity. It just sounds more like Whole Foods know that, that they've really angered people, so they got to do something about it. And that doesn't necessarily solve the problem from a brand standpoint, because people may still feel like the brand feels the same way. So there's bigger work that they have to do to earn the trust back. Uh, and so how do they go about doing that? You know what? I think fundamentally, I mean, I think of brands like people, right? And people do all sorts of great things and people also mess up. So when brands mess up, they have to own that and they have to be humble and they have to display humility. And a big part of doing that is learning from it. So I think, you know, one of the big things that, that Whole Foods should do and, and by extension Amazon is ask why. What didn't they get right in this situation? And, and, you know, if you ask me, I think part of it comes down to, you know, underestimating and under, in some cases, maybe even undervaluing what it means to operate in Canada. So first and foremost, they've got to understand that. And whether that means talking to their folks internally, talking to their customers, and really, really listening. And then if they do that, I think it shows that at least... Even if they mess up, it comes from a place of real honesty and real authenticity. And people tend to be forgiving with things like that. Uh, one of the issues, too, uh, that people took with this earlier was when they were defending the ban, when they first came out and said, no, we are going to continue with this. Uh, but they, they did say at that point, we are still going to be observing a moment of silence on November 11th and donating $8,000 to the Poppy Fund. <laughs> uh, that was the response that people were quick to, to point out. This company is owned by Amazon, by Jeff Bezos. I think it was somebody who said that he probably finds that amount of money in his couch every day. Uh, they have said now in the in the statement from the company where they've reversed the decision they have said as well they will be making a monetary donation to the legion poppy fund is that important how much money they give 100 percent, it's important and brands have to be very strategic about the money they give and the amount because honestly the amount that they donate tells a story like immediately you know even as you were saying eight thousand dollars you know, I just grimaced right at the thought of it because what does that say about a $30 billion company that can only scrounge up eight grand for something as important as all the things that are associated with Remembrance Day? So it just sends such a bad message. So I think, you know, as they're kind of rethinking that, again, I think what they have to come back to is, you know, why is it important to Canadians? Why is this so deeply personal? And the donation and the amount has to really gel with that. Otherwise, it could just come across as, as totally disingenuous.
And even looking back when you mentioned too that that at some point someone made that decision and it seems like it kind of it seems like the poppy got swept up in what was a new company policy to deal with unrest in the United States. Uh, I believe it was because of people perhaps wearing Black Lives Matters buttons and the the possibility that that would perhaps start conversations or start uh, that 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 could have see tempers flare. Uh, but but the the fact that they lumped in the poppy with political symbols. I think the fact that nobody called that out or nobody even had that conversation at the corporate level seems strange. It seems very strange, but you know, not entirely surprising. And I think, and the only reason why I say that is because, you know, when you have global behemoths like Amazon and, you know, sometimes what happens is that when it, it comes to trying to figure out what makes sense for the different countries they operate in, Sometimes they do a better job than others. And you know what that comes down to is just a general understanding of that market. Do they really understand what makes Canadians tick? Do they understand what makes customers tick in all the different markets that Whole Foods operates in? And who's making those calls and where are they making them from? You know, there's a world of difference in in making a call that affects somebody in Ottawa when you're doing it from Texas. So it it really kind of comes down to like how much... And how much intimacy and how much understanding do you have of what actually happens at Whole Foods in the Canadian market? And I think that was really on display as well. And I guess, is it underestimating, exactly like what you said, what, what's important in Canada? Because it's not as though this isn't also an issue in the States. I mean, the States has Veterans Day. The States also, people in the United States pay respect to their veterans and have remembrance ceremonies. So it's not like it's a foreign concept to the States. No, not at all. Not at all. So, and, you know, I think the other aspect there, too, is like really honestly listening to consumers. You know, you brought up just the tidal wave of backlash on social media. And, you know, that's unfortunate and no brand likes to see that happening. But if they're doing it right, they could actually see that coming. And I think that's another person that needs to be in the room when they're making this decision as well. Ask the marketers, ask the social media people, ask your consumers, make sure that they understand what's really important. Because if you have your ear to the ground and you're listening, you know, you may not be able to prevent every single scandal that's going to come your way, but at least you can kind of understand what the water cooler talk is. And, and clearly in this case, Whole Foods didn't. Uh, so they've reversed the decision. They've put out a statement uh, apologizing, saying they, what they've learned from today, uh, they realized that it was the wrong decision. What else do you think? Do they have to do anything else as far as protecting their brand? 100% they do. I think what they need to do is they need to show some very public display of commitment to changing. And whether that means, you know, doing what Starbucks did a few years ago and shutting down every store in the country, or whether it means saying, you know, we're going to do some training sessions, whatever it is, there has to be a demonstrated commitment. Otherwise, what really ends up happening is this just becomes a moment in time that people just don't buy. You know, the brand says they're sorry, they walk it back. People say, no, that's not true. And then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, right? So if they really want it to stick and they want people to forgive the brand and feel some level of positivity, I think what they have to do is say, listen, we messed up, but here's what we're doing about it. And we're going to lay out the things that we're going to do. And then we're going to report back to you. And that's when you really start to see the difference between putting out advertising and really building a brand. All right. Mike Leon with Brand Heroes. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for making some time for us. Thank you. 
We are going to shift gears a little bit. And later on in the final hour of the program, we are going to check in with our Washington correspondent. We will get the very latest on what is happening in the U.S. election, where we are with the vote counting. Right now, though, we want to talk about airline travel. And certainly it has changed because of the pandemic, one of the industries hardest hit by COVID-19. So what are airlines doing to try and get people back on the planes, back up and traveling again. And are there some strategies that, well, aren't all that good for passengers? John Gradick is a lecturer at McGill University, also head of its Global Aviation Leadership Program, and joins me on the line now. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Uh, We're talking about something that is often referred to as the bait and switch. What exactly does that look like when we're talking about airlines? Well, you know, it's a term that's used that's kind of pejorative a bit in terms of where it's being used. People use that bait and switch when you talk about retailers, you know, getting you to come into a store or buying a product. And once you go and pay for it, guess what? The price has changed. So what the airlines are doing is not necessarily that. They're not doing anything about the pricing side of it. They are doing something about the service that's being offered. So they're offering flights, and that's what they sell. They sell flights between point A and point B. And there's usually a X number of flights, let's say from Toronto to Vancouver. Uh, you know, there's you know Air Canada's offering six flights a day, and that, and that's in their schedule. So what usually happens is that uh, they will adjust that schedule occasionally to take you know consolidate one flight, and then protect everybody on on one of those remaining five flights. What's happening now is that they still publish six flights. But for all intents and purposes, they're only going to operate two. So everybody that's booked on those other four flights are going to get contacted by the airline industry and they're going to say, okay, instead of leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're now leaving at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And if that's inconvenient to you, well, here's a voucher uh, for future travel. Have a good day. So different than, say, pre-pandemic when there were flights leaving, and we'll use the Toronto-Vancouver example again, flights leaving almost every hour, uh, that if for some reason one of the flights just didn't get a lot of attention, people weren't booking it, then they would cancel it and rebook. But they're giving them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know that when they offered the flight. But it looks like, or what you're saying is now they're offering these flights knowing full well they are never going to actually happen. Well, they're not, you know, knowing full well. I think they're 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 keeping their fingers crossed that people will book by some, you know, feat of magic. Those seats will get filled up. You know, people will just forget about the pandemic and get on board an airplane and go to to Toronto from Vancouver. Um, but that's not happening. And the behavior that passengers are having today when they book flights, they'll book flights close in. You know, usually people are looking at getting cheap seats three or four or five months ahead of time. Uh, but now the airlines are saying that that behavior is no longer in the marketplace. What people are buying is they're waiting until they get a pretty good read in terms of what's going on with respect to public health notices, and they're buying close in four or five days out. So the airlines basically are, are stuck with all of this capacity that's being offered, and they have no idea you know, how much of that traffic is actually going to show up, when it's going to show up, and what flight's going to show up. So they're taking um, measures to, in fact, cancel flights close into the departure time.
Because it also kind of gives people the the idea or the optics are that people are flying. And I noticed it. I flew in August. And when looking to book the flight, I, I, a friend of mine also flew in June. And there were very few flights in June, uh, understandable. Uh, but then when we booked in August, a lot of the flights had come back. And it kind of gives the impression that more and more people are flying. And that's why they've brought these flight back uh, flights back. It, it almost gives the, the impression that, oh, well, yes, flying is safe. And, and more and more people are doing that. Why else would they be offering this many flights? Psychological warfare. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going on. You know, they're, they're basically using the psychology of saying, if I'm flying a lot more airplanes, or if I'm proposing to fly a lot more airplanes, it must be safe to fly. And, you know, I think that the Canadian traveling public uh, has got, you know, its eyes and ears pretty well open to what's going on. And they're not falling for that, that activity. And they're not traveling. And that's why you have flights still operating today with, you know, 60 or 70 passengers on board a 200-seat airplane. And that's what the airlines are saying. If they hadn't canceled those flights, you'd have those 60 or 70 passengers spread over two or three flights, which is not, not good economically. Right. Might be good, again, for people wanting to feel safe and distance themselves from people, but not certainly good for the bottom line of the airline. Correct. Um, what, I'm guessing as well, though, uh, and again, if, if even though airlines know that, that they're or they're pretty sure the flights aren't going to fill up when we click and book online and we're clicking four days ahead or we're booking the flight, we all know we're supposed to read the fine print. We don't always read every word of that. My guess is there's something in there that always says there is a chance this flight will be canceled. If so, we're going to put you on another flight. Yes, there is. There, there are provisions in the, in, in the conditions of carriage. That you know we're we're basically offering you a, we're offering you carriage between Vancouver and Toronto, and for your convenience we're offering these flights, uh, but it really is up to the up to our the carrier to really put the actual airplane in place for that flight to be carried. They're contractually obligated to carry you from Vancouver to Toronto, not necessarily on the flight that they're selling you, and that's where you know they're they're, they're able to do what they're doing. And it's inconvenient. Um, you know, you might have, you know, your, your, your hard-earned money to buy the ticket maybe stuck in an, in an airline because they're giving you vouchers if you can't make the flight. Uh, but it's within their right to basically cancel. Yeah, I know somebody who was booked on a Friday after work flight, thinking they would work the whole day, go to the airport, and the flight, exactly that happened. That flight was canceled and said, you're now on the one thirty flight. Well, it doesn't really work if you're committed to being at work or you have commitments during the day that you can suddenly be at the airport a couple of hours early for a one thirty flight. Yep, and that's, and then more and more, you know, Air Canada canceled in the month of November, as the article says, 29,000 flights. That is a huge number of flights. 70% of their flights that they said in September that they were going to fly, by the time October rolls around, 70% of those flights are gone. Two out of three flights are gone. So it really is something that, you know, they're offering something in terms of a service, service in terms of a flight schedule that for all intents and purposes, they know they're not going to operate. And that's why the article basically talks about no bait and switch. So do passengers have any recourse then? Again, if it says it in the fine print, and this is happening so much, particularly now because of the pandemic, is there anything passengers can do to protect themselves? <laughs> well, you know, we have the, fam- the famous Canadian Transportation Agency that's sitting in Ottawa, whose job it is to represent, you know, the Canadian traveling public and their disputes that they have with the airline industry. So you, you might be able to, to, to get 
some recourse out of them to get your money back. Uh, but for that behavior to stop, uh, and for that activity to stop, it really is really a, a question of regulation of how much the Minister of Transport uh, wants to, in fact, flex muscle to be able to tell carriers only publish the schedule that you are going. Yet you have every intention of flying. Do not put schedules out there that you know up front you're not going to fly. And I think that's something that the uh, Canadian traveling public should let the Minister of Transport know. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. A very interesting uh, topic and looking at this. Uh, John Gradick, thank you so much for joining us to talk more about this. My pleasure, Jill. Have a great day.